0: Welcome to The Extraordinary Catholic, co-sponsored by the Catholic Education Foundation and the Station of the Cross out of Buffalo, New York. I'm your host, Joan Delicato. Thank you for being with us. Today we are privileged to welcome to the program an extraordinary Catholic, Ray McKenna. Ray is currently the president and founder of Catholic Athletes for Christ, which works with athletes at all levels of sports in an effort to promote a Catholic sports culture and share the gospel in and through sports. Ray comes to this position already a successful Washington, D.C.-based attorney and former general counsel of the United States General Services Administration. Not to mention that he served in developing the baseball chaplaincy program for eight years and has served in sports-related ministries for 15 years, including ministries associated with Major League Baseball, professional football, professional boxing, and youth sports programs. Ray was a participant in Rome at the Vatican's first ever sports conference in 2005 and has been working with the Vatican sports office to promote the church's mission in the United States. He was born and raised in the Bronx, New York, near Yankee Stadium, attended St. Raymond's High School and St. John's University, and currently lives in Alexandria, Virginia. Welcome, Ray. Thank you for joining us. We are certainly privileged to have you with us today.
1: Thank you very much. It's my privilege and pleasure to be with you.
0: Uh, Ray, let's just start uh, with your early background as a young boy and uh, how you grew up in the Bronx and your affiliation with the church and athletics and so on. Can you uh, take us through that, please?
1: Sure. Um, well, I grew up you know, playing and loving sports. Um, as you mentioned, I think, not in the Bronx, New York, not too far from Yankee Stadium. Um, when I was a little boy, my favorite thing, like dad would ask me, um, He'd pick out the Yankee schedule and uh, at the beginning of the year, and he'd uh, take me to a, uh, two, three, maybe four games a year, and I'd always look forward to them, and I always tried to pick back then. They had double headers. They don't have them anymore. <laughs> but um, right. uh, and I remember always trying to choose a double header because it was an opportunity to get more baseball. Um, I went to Catholic school um, all the way from elementary school uh, through college at St. John's University in New York, and I just had the privilege of being in contact and trained by many wonderful religious priests, brothers, and sisters.
0: That's wonderful, and your your parents obviously wanted you to go to Catholic school because they provided you that opportunity.
1: Absolutely, yeah, not only do they want me to go, out, but um, you know they they worked very hard to be able to afford the uh, the tuition for me to attend. I'm very thankful to them and I always will be.
0: That's great. I don't want to divert uh, divert myself too much, but uh, I remember those double headers too, and they were a lot cheaper than any single game is today, weren't they?
1: Uh, Yeah, I used to love it. It was back in the days when Mickey Mantle was at the very end of his career. I remember the first like cut games I went to. I would just love hearing the PA announcer Bob Shepard, longtime Yankee radio, uh, excuse me, PA announcer, um, just say Mickey Mantle when he was introduced.
0: Uh, Chills go go through you when you hear that again, I bet.
1: Um, (laughs) Absolutely. I
0: was I was a Brooklyn Dodger fan, so I was at the other end of that spectrum. Okay. Now, how, how, what did you study in school, uh, and then how did your career develop and evolve?
1: I was uh, at St. John's University. I majored in political science, and uh, I've always had an interest. Yeah, I, I think even as far back as high school in uh, uh, the law, and constitutional law, especially. So it was a fairly natural progression for me. I went directly from St. John's University in New York City to. Uh, George Washington University uh, Law School and then moved on from there to um, a legal career starting at the Justice Department in Washington, D.C. Okay.
0: And how, how long were you there and how did it evolve?
1: How long was I at the Justice Department? Yeah. In I think it was roughly four, four and a half years or, or so that I was there.
0: Okay. And you wound up serving in the General Services Administration?
1: Yes, it was my privilege uh, in the um, First term of this current uh, George W. Bush administration. I was general counsel uh, for the General Services Administration. Really enjoyed that opportunity and uh, had a very um, uh, good learning and training experience, and met some really wonderful people.
0: And did how did your faith impact on that experience, or did
1: it? Well, it's. Good question. I don't. I don't know if I have a security uh, example. I try, you know, to succeed, but I try to bring my faith, you know, um, with me in, you know, whatever I might do, um, you know, be it at the workplace or in other encounters. But I have to admit it is very difficult sometimes in a more charged, busy environment. Uh, political environment of Washington, and uh, in retrospect, I'm sure I could have done a much better job of, you know, remaining faithful. I tried to stay rooted in the sacraments, uh, attend daily mass, for example, Mm -hmm. but there are many, many times and periods where I didn't have the opportunity to do that. Um, We uh, were were pretty busy. We uh, were charged with conducting the uh, Enron Anderson investigation Mm -hmm. for suspension debarment, First time I'd heard about it, they asked to do it. I it wasn't, you know, aware that it would become quite the cause of love that it did. And for periods such as that, where we're in that type of review, the hours were long and somewhat grueling. And um, I'm sure I, if I would made more of an effort, I could have attended daily mass and received the sacraments more. But um, it, whenever I was the sacraments there, uh, it gave me a great sense of peace and grounding that otherwise I wouldn't have, and in that type of environment I found it important, if not essential.
0: But that's quite a, an event to be have been involved in so intimately.
1: It really was kind of a, a story that I tell sometimes when I'm invited to speak is um, the head of the agency is called, he's called the Administrator at GSA, uh, the, the equivalent of say, a cabinet secretary, secretary-treasurer, what have you. It, Treasury Department. Uh, it told me that we were going to embark and that my office, the general counsel's office, would lead this suspension department suspension review, is what we called it. In other words, we were considering whether Enron and Anderson, in view of the problems, the Legal difficulties, the scandals that had erupted, will continue to be eligible for receipt of government contracts. And as everybody knows, of course, we determined that they no longer should be eligible. Um, but I remember the uh, administrator. I remember it as clear as if it happened yesterday, um, saying to me, "You know, this is a once in one hundred year type of um, endeavor that we're going to be embarking on." And then the next, the very next year, we were charged with conducting the review for um, what at that time was called MCI WorldCom, and the major scandal that had erupted there. And I remember thinking to myself, boy, time flies. I've been here 100 years already.
0: (laughs) Uh, Amazing. I I guess, I don't know, I don't want to speak to you, but the ethical challenge, uh, not on your part, but to see uh, what Enron did and, and all the harm that that caused must have been astounding.
1: Well, Enron, of course, is a very sad case, uh, and they did not even contest the the review and the suspension of them because it was a corporation that pretty much, you know, was entirely based on fraud. It was a a true house of cards um, in any organization, and legal ethics, of course, has become, I guess... As a result, in the aftermath of Enron and Anderson, a major issue for any company, corporation, entity, period, is their business ethics. Um, and that that was a company, I believe, totally bereft of ethics. It basically all the three safeguards that any organization has, uh, which would be the, the management, the legal controls, and the accounting controls, all were a sham. So uh, that was, you know, quite a eye opening experience, I guess, for everybody um, when the Details of the, the level of the, the, the depth of the corruption at Enron became available. The Arthur Anderson situation, I guess they're always going to be linked now, Enron Anderson hmm. in our lexicon, it was a much more troubling situation because they vigorously contested it, and there were many people in the organization who were unaware of the problems that were encountered, but nonetheless, you know, paid a price for that. And that's often Sadly, what happens is that many innocent people, good people, and this is true even at Enron, of course, um, uh, pay a price for the misdeeds of, you know, um, be it a few, or in the case of Enron, quite a few um, members of the board of directors, the outside directors, or others involved in the corporation that were, you know, lacking in business ethics.
0: In case you have just joined us, this is the Extraordinary Catholic, and we are talking with an Extraordinary Catholic, Ray McKenna. The president and founder of Catholic Athletes for Christ, a successful Washington D.C.-based attorney and former general counsel of the United States General Services Administration. Well, how uh, did you extend your legal uh, legal uh, career uh, before your baseball ministry? After the General Services Administration, or
1: well, I, I still. Um I have some clients and some cases that I work on and I continue to do that after I left the the General Services Administration. Um, So the number of um, clients and cases that I have continues to diminish because um, our ministry, Catholic Athletes for Christ, is really um, growing and, and, and catching fire, which is a very good thing, but um, I think it means my legal practice is, is, is dwindling in as a result of it.
0: Diminishing. Um, well, tell us about that. That's uh, of great interest to our listeners. Tell us about how your uh, athletic ministry began and how it's progressed and where you are now and what's going to happen.
1: As you mentioned in the introduction, uh, in your very kind introduction, uh, I've been involved or was involved with baseball ministry, so to speak, for many, many years. I think it was somewhere between eight to ten years, but I worked as an unpaid, what they call them, um, volunteer coordinators for an organization named Baseball Chapel, which is an evangelical Protestant ministry which covers the entirety of professional baseball, both major league and minor league, and I was a minor league chaplain. The team, a local team here in um, Prince William uh, County, Virginia, and over the course of that, I felt that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, had put on my heart that there needed to be an organization for a comparable, analogous organization for Catholic players, because it's very hard for players in all sports, baseball, you know, being my focus at that time, to receive the sacraments during the season because of their busy schedule and the time commitments being at so sometimes the environments, depending you know, from team to team, might not be that hospitable towards Catholicism, and there may be you know, some anti-Catholicism, quite frankly, um, in some of the presentations of the uh, coordinators of the chapel organization. So uh, over time, I came to know others in baseball, Catholics, who shared that perspective and had some unfortunate episodes and encounters themselves where their Catholic faith was somewhat attacked um, and I heard stories of others' cases in which their Catholic faith was undermined through some attacks like that when they didn't really have the benefit or the training of the catechesis to be able to respond to some of the challenges and the attacks that are presented on the church. So um, long story short is experiences such as that Led me to think that there's really an opportunity and a need to begin an organization uh, to deal with the needs, the spiritual sacramental needs of Catholic athletes. And very um, uh, providentially, I would say, um, at the time, about 2004, Pope John Paul II became the Vatican Office of Sport and Church. And through that office, um, and working with the head of the office, Father Kevin Nixie, we've developed a very good working relationship. And over time, um, Catholic athletes for Christ grew from an outreach primarily to baseball players to um, all professional sports, and then even filtering down to the collegiate and high school level. We're making some outreach and inroads there.
0: So what? Um, so you started uh, with the notion of adding chaplain, Catholic chaplains. And uh, how did that go? And then, how has your mission expanded to all athletes? And what are some of the what is some of the work that you're attempting to do now?
1: Well, after the meeting with Father Kevin, when he encouraged us to you know think more broadly and reach out, and there there really is a need in all sports, Um, we began to make contact with other like-minded Catholics in sports. You know, for example. I'm just back this past weekend, so it's fresh in my mind from the NFL's Indianapolis Combine, and uh, we uh, hosted a mass on Saturday of the combine. And about 65, maybe 70 uh, NFL coaches came, attended the mass, and um, we've made um, some really important um, outreach there. Uh, for example, the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, Jack Del Rio, um, is a member of our advisory. Board and Speakers Bureau, the um, quarterback of the New York Jets, Kellen Clemens, is another, um, and many others involved in the NFL um, who have joined up with us. So, to use this as a representative example. Uh, our goal, and our hope, is to be able to serve all Catholic athletes at whatever whatever level of sport they're engaging in to ensure that they have the sacraments. from last uh, year, 2007, was the second annual. The the second uh, Vatican Conference on Sport and Church, and it was my privilege to bring along with me um, a featured athletic speaker, Kate Kate Ziegler. Kate is a wonderful young woman. Uh, She is the favorite favorite for two of the um, freestyle swimming events for the Beijing Olympics, Um, and she uh, resides not too far from where we're established here. Uh, She's in Great Falls, Virginia, and um, attends college at George Mason University, Uh, attended a large Catholic high school here, Archbishop O'Connell. She was only 18 at the time. She spoke to these very well-established attendees, all other than herself who were theologians, philosophers. Newspaper writers and the like, and she really wowed them with the authenticity and the honesty of her testimony and her approach. And especially moving, I think, was Katie's test, you know, explanation that in a high-powered swimming environment such as you know she deals with on a regular basis, it's almost impossible to receive the sacraments. She has to be there early in the morning, on the morning, on the weekends of he and stay and compete late until the evening. So it's it's. One of many examples where, if the the sacraments are not made available to the athletes at their sporting venue, they really don't have the opportunity to partake in them at all.
0: I, the one piece I have not connected with uh, yet, uh, Ray, is I understand your legal background and your faith, your personal faith background, and your athletic background. How did your? I mean, it's really a passion that, that you have and that you started. What was the thing that connected the dots and made you move in this specific direction?
1: Well, I think it was in my experiences. Maybe I should elaborate a bit more on this. Um, I, I had come across, you know, growing up in um, New York City. I, I, I was raised, as you mentioned, my, um, um, my Early education, and uh, I was really raised in a very Catholic area, almost a Catholic ghetto, if you will. Um, And so I'm not exposed to any real anti Catholicism at all, um, and was blithely unaware of it. And then being, you know, more in the South, we're not really the deep South here, but in Virginia, it's a bit of a, you know. Entree to the South and with my involvement with sports, I began to experience certain episodes of anti-Catholicism, anti-Catholic remarks that would be made and uh, had a number of times where players would come up to me if they knew that I was Catholic. And they, you know, many were very innocent, but innocently asking what the difference was between being a Catholic and being a Christian and you know when I was saved and, um, and the questions that you know, clearly... Um, indicated that they had an unfavorable view of Catholicism and really questioned whether it was you know, part of the Christian faith, and, and that was all new to me. Um, and then over time, beyond that, I realized that many of the teachers, chaplains, if, if you would, um, shared a similar negative perspective on the Catholic faith, and as I think I mentioned before, uh, I should have mentioned if I didn't before, <laughs> many, many Catholics, players, I, I shudder to think of the number, but I know we are speaking in the thousands upon thousands over the years, have been taken out of the Catholic faith through Evangelical Protestant uh, ministries, ah. and so that I, for whatever reason, uh, that really spoke to my heart. Okay. Well, that's Did I answer your question?
0: Yeah, very well, Ray. Thank you very much. I have a note from a past conversation we had uh, that we didn't talk about. The impact of Fulton Sheen on your life?
1: Oh, I'm a big, huge fan of the late Archbishop Sheen. Um, I remember as a little boy, my mom um, would tell me about Fulton Sheen and his. I'm not really old enough to remember his TV show, but I understand that he had a very successful TV show, and I've seen the tapes of it. Um, And I've read many, many of Fulton Sheen's books. um, especially the life of Christ, which is one of my very favorite, if not my favorite, books. I read it often and, and uh, repeatedly, and find great wisdom in it. And um, I just, um, uh, as big a Fulton Sheen fan as I think you ever find. <laughs> uh,
0: that's terrific. That's, that's also a favorite of mine. I always pick it up during Lent, and at least find tremendous
1: inspiration. Yeah, it's such a great ability, you know, to in, in a very humorous light, uh, yet intellectually. Deep way, you know, share the good news of the faith and bring so many to the church, so many fallen away, and so many outside of the, the faith. That um, I, I, I know that there's a movement afoot. Uh, his cause, the uh, you know, potential canonization, is being worked on by um, Father Andrew Apostoli of, um, who's a member of Father Benedict Groeschel's uh, C.F.R. Order in New York, and I'm eagerly await, you know, falling and waiting, waiting what I hope will be the canonization someday of Fulton Sheen.
0: That would be that would be wonderful uh, and well deserved, I believe. In case you have just joined us, this is the extraordinary Catholic, and we are talking with Ray McKenna, president and founder of Catholic Athletes for Christ. So, where are you taking your Where's the ministry uh, going now with the help of the Holy Spirit? Uh, what do well, you? Well,
1: that's like? a good question, and let me, if I may. <laughs> Use the answer to that question as an opportunity to ask you and all of your listeners, and to pray for us and the continued support of the organization, and that we um, be guided and directed and fulfill the you know the, the mission, whatever that might be, of the Holy Spirit. Um, I certainly hope that we do. We we'll, we strive to do that. Um, what we're looking to do is to continue our reach into the other sports. Um, You know, um, every professional sport has a well-funded, well-established evangelical Protestant ministry, and we're trying to counterbalance that, um, which I think is an important need. We also have hopes and visions of assisting uh, Catholic collegiate uh, athletes, you know, high school athletes, even youth level sports, at some level, we we try to do that. Currently, we have a speakers bureau where speakers will go to Catholic schools or Catholic, you know, conferences and share the faith about uh, sports and and um, evangelization. And uh, that our hope is to continue the efforts we've made and expand them and you know do them on a larger scale and, and, and in a better way.
0: Well, be assured of our prayers and the prayers of oh, our, our, our listeners. I mean, that's the most important thing. And it's really an inspirational ministry that you're involved in. Uh, one of the there are two co-sponsors to this uh, broadcast, one is uh, the Station of the Cross, which is a radio station that uh, emanates out of Buffalo, New York, uh, with reach into Scranton, Pennsylvania, uh, Rochester, and East Liverpool, Ohio. And also the Catholic Education Foundation, you and I may have talked about this in the past, but yes, I believe we did We have taken uh, as sort of a, a motto and an emblem the relationship between Brother Matthias and babe Ruth uh, oh, yes. in uh, his life and when you we were talking about the the need to penetrate. Uh, Catholicism within the sports world, I could think of, of nothing better than the relationship that Brother Matthias and Babe Ruth had. Uh, in fact, That's a great example. Yeah, and if you, most people uh, are not aware of it, but there's a testimony of Babe Ruth on our website uh, about Brother Matthias, and, and he says, I, I was listed, I quote, I was listed as incorrigible. I guess I was. Perhaps I would have been but for the thoughts of Brother Matthias the greatest man I have ever known and for the religious training I received which has been so important to me. And I don't know that many people see the Catholicism of Babe Ruth when they think about him and and his life, but uh, he had quite a deathbed testimony too. So I I offer that to you as maybe something emblematic to some of your athletes that you're trying to reach.
1: Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Babe Ruth. Um, One of our Board of Directors um, and athletes to brood. and one of my dear friends is uh, Bill Fierfelder, who's also grew up in the Bronx, uh, and uh, he's the uh, president of Belmont Abbey College in uh, North Carolina. I believe it's the first and I believe it's the only Catholic uh, school um, college in North Carolina, mm-hmm. and the uh, it's a Benedictine school, and uh, they uh, founded it in the. You know, mid '80s, in the midst of tremendous anti-Catholic persecution in the South and the Know Nothingism party, and um, what's really interesting is, outside uh, Bill's office, there is a um, big picture of Babe Ruth with the, at that time, uh, Abbott. The Yankees would, on their way down to spring training, stop and play a game every year. I think at Belmont Abbey and see Babe Ruth there with the Abbott. it's an incredible, you know, uh, <laughs> picture and testimony, and I always uh, grabs my heart when I see it. And when you mention um, the story about Babe Ruth, that's what immediately comes to my mind.
0: Well, that, that's very interesting. In fact, uh, Belmont Abbey—I don't know if you're aware of it—but there was a new book put out by uh, the Newman Society, which identified truly Catholic colleges, and there were only 21 identified as truly Catholic in the United States, and Belmont Abbey was one of them.
1: Well, it's a great. I, I, I'll put a plug in for my friend, my dear friend, Dr. Billy Thrift. it's a great place, and he's doing a great job there. I think anybody, you know, any, any student, any parents would be, you know, um, well advised are considering just you know, once send their children there, they they get a great education, a great Catholic
0: education. Other than other than prayer. Uh, which as I said we are going to participate in on your behalf and on behalf of your ministry uh, what else can we or our views do for you and how else can we we help spread the word
1: well um, if we're a non-profit organization so anybody knows of you know, um, anybody who would be interested in donating to our ministry we can always use the funding that would be something we'd be very appreciative about um, or you know if Someone's interested in just telling a, a friend who's involved, and you know, a neighbor or whatever, in athletics that might be interested. If um, there are needs that can be, we can help meet. Um, you know, please let us know about them or there are other suggestions that people have. Um, we're um, always amenable and open to those. Um, we, we try to encourage everybody. It's on our website, and oh, that, that's another thing I would encourage everybody to look at our website. It's simply Catholic. Athletes, athletes plural with an F for Christ, CatholicAthletesForChrist.com. Uh, take a look at it and you'll see our mission statement. You'll see uh, many papal documents and writings on sports. Um, but our, our motto is, again, from John Paul II, where we encourage, and this is John Paul's words, not mine, encourages uh, all, you know, Christians to be a strong athlete for Christ. So the name itself, Catholic athlete for Christ, it's as much of a spiritual witness as it is a you know physical one. Because the Church, from Saint Paul, all the way through you know the the, uh, history of the Church up into modern times with Pope Pius the Twelfth, who was considered uh, the hope most interested in sports, and then John Paul II, who is an athlete himself, have strongly emphasized the spiritual dimension of sports. In other words, that sports is a great analogy for the spiritual life. St. Paul, again, speaks of sport as a race, as a battle, as a fight, as a prize fight. Uh, And and, um, and that's what we really try to point people to, is not just the sport for itself, but the sport for itself. Its transcendent message, for its greater message and vision, that you you know c- can learn the lessons. If you learn the lessons of sport, the discipline, the um, regimens, and what have you, then it's fair, you know uh, going to serve you well. If you can apply those lessons to your spiritual life, and you're going to need to to be you know a faithful athlete for Christ, if you would.
0: Right. I compliment you. I pray for your success and the model uh, especially in what's going on today with the uh, HGH and steroids and the whole question of ethics and athletics, to have a witness in the work that uh, your ministry is trying to do with what is really needed.
1: So, well, Thank you very much for those kind words. I appreciate them.
0: Okay, and Ray, thank you so much. I, we really appreciate it. It's an inspiration, and I, I personally look forward to meeting you someday soon. God bless Well,
1: thank you. Thank you. I look forward to um, uh, speaking with you often, hopefully.
0: Yes. God bless you, Ray. Thank
1: you. You too. Have a wonderful day, and God bless everybody who listens to your show. I think you're doing great work there.
0: Thank you, Ray. God bless.
1: Bye now. Okay, bye.
0: Thank you for being with us for today's Extraordinary Catholic. We hope you have found the program inspirational and informative, and truly hope you can join us again. I'm John Delicato.